Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Dr. Simon, and the show is The Stories We Live By. And I haven't been on the air for a while. Um, first, I was uh, traveling. Uh, I was up in New York for a while, and then I had a medical problem. It turned out to be um, less serious than was originally thought. Uh, in fact, I'm okay now. And then I realized I had nothing to talk about. Um, I feel like I've said or most of what I wanted to say. And um, there, there was really, all I was doing was repeating myself. And I don't like that. I've always had a problem with that. Maybe because I taught for so many years in a college where I had to repeat courses so often. And uh, it wasn't always easy to change the course uh, when there's a curriculum and you know that students require certain kinds of information uh, to understand part of the mainstream of some aspect of the field of psychology. So I sort of don't like to repeat myself. The other thing is I've written so much. Uh, not too many people have read, read my books. Uh, they are not easy to read. Um, I still plan on writing something uh, of my ideas, sort of along the lines of that I speak on the show, but I don't know why I haven't been motivated to sit down and start to write yet, so to write a book that's more accessible. In any event, then, uh, why am I back on the air today? Um, I'm really very worried. The, the, the election that's coming up worries me, um, because I, I see something happening in, in the United States, and I see it all over the world, uh, that really bothers me and upsets me, and it wouldn't bother me at all for myself. Um, what I see in the political process now is so unbelievably absurd that much of the time I laugh. It's only when I think, hello, Marion, how are you? Uh, it's only when I think of my children and especially my grandchildren that I get upset. Otherwise, I would say let this uh, cartoon, this, this surreal, almost situation comedy play itself out and uh, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, so I, I thought about what I might say today that's not too repetition, repetitious from what came before, and I want to talk about life and death. And not anybody's life or anybody's death, but it's first something in general about it. Um, one of the things that, that uh, affected me deeply in my education was a course I took on existential psychology. It was actually existential psychoanalysis. Uh, Freud, the great psychoanalyst, said that the reason people become crazy, and I'll describe crazy in a moment, my definition of crazy in a moment, uh, the reason people get crazy is because of something that uh, uh, gets them very upset. And for Freud, it was repressed sexuality, uh, the fear of castration related to sexual desires that stem from childhood. And that was the orthodox. And one of the books that um, I read for this course was an article, actually. It was by a philosopher by the name of Herman Feifel. And I don't know if anybody knows that name. And the title of the article, in a way, said it all. He said, death is the relevant variable. In 1974, a wonderful, wonderful psychologist who already had the cancer that he was going to die from 
fellow by the name of Ernst Becker, wrote a retort to Freud. He, he recast psychoanalysis in a book called The Denial of Death. He wrote a book that he never finished afterwards called Escape from Evil. And I want to talk about the ideas in that. Um, Freud said we go crazy when we try to get rid of some truth that uh, is greatly disturbing to us. And again, it was repressed sexuality or the fear of castration. Um, and others have, have, psychologists, have weighed in uh, with the fear of abandonment, uh, the fear of rejection by our parents. And I accept all of that. But one of the things that doesn't get discussed, because it really is, I think, the relevant variable, the, the, the bottom line, if you will, is the fact that we're mortal and we are going to die. That's the problem. And I don't question for one second, and this is my view of a truth, uh, and, and, and this is what I'm going to get into, is my view of the truth is that when I do die, and I'm much closer to my death than my birth, there's no question. I am 68 uh, at this point, and again, I've had enough physical problems, uh, uh, none of which are about to kill me imminently, but I have enough problems to know I am mortal. I really can't deny it. It's just too much. And so I won't exist. I will exist in the memory of my children. I will exist in my wife's mind for as long as she lives. I will exist in the mind of certain friends. I even have students I know who will not forget me and, and hopefully the positive influence I've had on them. Uh, so I will exist in other memories. I will exist in libraries in terms of my books that I've written, and they are very important to me uh, because I think they will live on after me. And uh, many of the ideas I talk about here and I talk about uh, 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 today uh, are in those books. And so um, my, my view is that death is a finality, and nothing of me will exist except in the memory of others or in the ideas that I've left after myself in terms of broadcasts, in terms of my writing. I do not believe for a second in a soul. I do not believe that I'm going to uh, 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 find myself after my death in either a place called hell or a place called heaven. For me, these are all fictions. They're fantasies. They're stories. Stories people make up to comfort themselves and deal with the problem of non-existence. Uh, interesting. I'll spend a second or two on non-existence. Um, one of the things that I think terrifies people is being ignored, being nobody, being nothing. I've spoken about that before, and I really do feel it's a problem. And it's not so much that um, most of us fear death or that the problem of death uh, itself is the issue. It's the fact that we fear the way we might die. Uh, I I'm, I'm really do wish for a Buddhist death. Uh, the Buddhist death is that you will go to sleep one night feeling pretty good and either have a massive heart attack or stroke and you just don't wake up in the morning. Uh, I'm increasingly afraid of a death, which I have to go to the doctor and have uh, treatments till I die uh, because the treatments and, and being a patient it is awful, not only because of its painfulness, but because once you become a patient, very few doctors see you as anything but a non-person. 
You become the patient. You become the illness. In fact, I could do a whole show on that sometimes. Uh, most people really do get upset by doctors, particularly in large teaching hospitals, where they're nobody. They become a liver or a kidney or a bladder or a brain. They become a disease. And I've spoken many, many times about how much I despise psychiatry and clinical psychology for saying someone is a schizophrenic or is a borderline personality. Because what it says is that they're not a person. They are a disease. They're, they're an object. They're a machine that needs to be tinkered with chemically. And this, I think, is the problem that people have to wrestle with. And the ultimate non-entity is death, is produced by death. It's the non-existence. There is no mind. There is no thought. There is nothing. Now, there, I have found there are really two ways for people to deal with these kind of serious problems, whatever they are, whether it's death or anything else. Um, and, and part of this I learned from working with people uh, and the children of people who were in concentration camps, uh, people who survived uh, Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen and Buchenwald. They, they really had one of two solutions. One was a solution in which they threw themselves into life and lived every moment and became joyful in their lives and only wanted their children to enjoy every moment of their lives and saw life as something incredibly precious to be lived and enjoyed for as much as it possibly could be. Uh, and these tended to be very forgiving people, people who uh, overlooked mistakes that people made, particularly if they were small mistakes, people who became very tolerant of other people. And I have met these people and, and, and have always marveled at how they themselves were tortured um, and, and, and went through the most awful deprivations, lost their families, faced death, somehow survived, and now rose above all of the fears and all of the pain, and said no more, life has to be affirmed in the face of death. Okay? The other side were people who identified with their captors. They said, life sucks, life stinks. We have no right to enjoy our life. The fact is, the dying own us. Death owns us. And these individuals live in a kind of a pain. They forbid their children from enjoying their lives. And, and it's this, this pain that motivates, that creates a problem that has to be dealt with. And the way in which pain can be dealt with, again, is can be embraced and made the center of one's life. It can be uh, affirmed and then said, I live my life in the face of this pain. And then there's the big third way. And that is to make believe that what happened or what happens hasn't happened and what hasn't happened will happen. It's to employ what Freud called the defense mechanism. It's to create a story that solves the problem through some kind of magical fantasy. And I've spoken about this many, many times. And I see the danger in these fantasies is that by not a Affirming death by not making it a relevant variable, something that has to be accepted and then dealt with in one way or another, it's escaped. 
the escape hatch is open. And what I see happening in the political process in the United States, and it's been happening for a long, long time, is that for many people the solution is a fantasy in which if I live my life in a certain way rigidly, if I deny what somebody says related to sex or related to homosexuality or related to divorce or related to this or to that, and I'll talk about why sex for some reason, uh, for the reason I think sex becomes denied and sex becomes the problem for so many people. Uh, you're not allowed to enjoy sex. Sex becomes part of procreation and God's plan. Uh, they throw their life into the fantasy that says, if I live in this specific way, if I believe very specific things, if I believe the plan and the purpose uh, that my religion or whatever fantasy has for me, I will escape from the pain of life, I will escape death, and I will not only live after my body dies, I will live forever in perpetual and perfect happiness. Now, my friends, I don't care if people live this way. There are times when I'm waiting for a doctor's diagnosis of possible cancer that I wish I could believe that were I a better person, were I a person who uh, uh, could follow a set of rules, if I was a person who uh, doesn't believe this or does believe that, uh, God will answer my prayer and prevent my cancer that when I die finally, uh, I will uh, achieve eternal happiness and eternal life. It would be nice to believe it. I personally can't. I don't care who does, and sometimes, as I say, I'm jealous of those who believe it. But what becomes frightening to me, increasingly frightening at this moment, are the growing number of people who have joined the political process and believe that the political process must serve not the Constitution, not living, but their own particular fantasy, and I do believe it's a fantasy. Again, I, I should add this. Faith tells me it's a fantasy, because nobody can prove heaven and hell don't exist. Nobody can prove that God doesn't exist. To me... These are all fantasies. God, to me, is the same as Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy uh, or, or, or uh, Dracula or any of the other figures that people, human imagination, for all of the purposes uh, that they, they uh, require to, to, have, to deal with problems. And again, death doesn't have an easy solution. Uh, to me, the only solution, and I, I have to tell you, I've been a bad boy the last few weeks when I believed I did have cancer. Um, of course, I was told that there was a good chance I had a, a cancer. Um, uh, I got very depressed. I withdrew from people. Um, I didn't maintain the kind of attitude that I know I should, I believe I should. Uh, and I could tell you, we have friends, a woman who was diagnosed with bladder cancer, and when they... Uh, they tested her, they discovered she had a serious breast cancer. And I can't believe, I love her attitude. Uh, the night before her surgery, 
She went out for dinner with friends and laughed and had a good time. And it was not phony. She was having a good time. And now she's dealing with her, her, um, her uh, chemotherapy, which absolutely knocks her on her butt. Her hair has fallen out. It makes her sick, sick unto death. And, and uh, she keeps calling me to see if I'm all right. And I find this wonderful. I find her a model that I wish to emulate and to be just like her. And, and uh, I find it difficult to do. And I don't know how she does it. And it's not because she talks about God or religion. She uh, embraces her life in the face of her death and lives it to the full. And what I see happening is a political process in which fantasy predominates. And I'm sorry, I will have to say that I see this more in the Republicans than I do in the Democrats. Although, every time I hear a Democrat make a speech, it is the same ending. God bless America, God bless you. And I want to say, don't bless me with God. I don't believe it. This has to stop. I have to see some kind of rationality. I have to see the truth. I have to see something that goes beyond fantasy, or what I see as fantasy, and I don't see it. And what I see is more and more people frightened in more and more ways who are embracing this whole fantasy, this whole idea that God will save them. That, that this mythical, magical figure is going to save them if only they live their life like the preachers and the clerics all over the world keep telling them they have to live their life. Um, we are in a death struggle, according to our political leaders, with the Muslims. And the Muslims uh, seem not to be able, just like most average Americans, seem not to be able to shut down those with the most virulent fantasies, with the most dangerous fantasies, with the most politically, I believe, corrupt and ugly fantasies of what it takes to get into heaven. I don't believe most Muslims want me dead. I don't believe most Muslims want to blow themselves up and go to heaven. And yet all over the world there is this struggle with what we call terrorism. People who believe if they strap a bomb to themselves and blow themselves up along with somebody else's family and children, they will immediately go to heaven. If they first called these people the great Satan, called them godless, called them heretics, made them guilty of apostasy. To me, they can believe what they want about any fantasy, but when it intrudes into the political process, and it says, I am right, I don't have to talk to you, there is no evidence that you can provide me, none at all, that you can provide me that will change my mind. I won't read anything uh, that runs counter to my beliefs. I won't have a rational, reasonable, and I think the word here is reasonable, a reasonable discussion with somebody who doesn't believe as I believe. And if necessary, I will shun you or I will kill you. Now, I don't hear the people in the political process here in the United States saying it's politics, uh, uh, call for murder, 
Although who knows what will happen in a year or two if this continues in this direction. You have people now here vilifying people, and to me, vilifying them if they don't believe what they believe. The word liberal uh, has turned into a dirty word. The word conservative has been corrupted and is now, by people on the other side, referred to as fascist. What we have now is no dialogue whatsoever. What we have is spinning. What we have are lies. And what we have are people who increasingly think that God is on their side, and they know the truth, the absolute truth, and nothing but the truth. It is, to me, disgusting and what I can't imagine, and I don't, and I keep waiting for, is for that large number of people who I know, I know, if they do believe in God, believe in it in a soft kind of a way. I know there are huge numbers of people out there who are the same kind of atheist or post-theist as I am. At this point, I don't even discuss with anybody whether there's a God or isn't a God. To me, the discussion isn't worth anything. You want to believe, believe. To me, your fantasy is fine. I have my own fantasies. They don't include that. On the other hand, don't tell me that I'm bad or wicked or wrong or immoral because I don't share your fantasy and I refuse to live the life you live in the fantasy and the story you have chosen. And in part because it's a death fantasy. It says you're not going to die. And I do believe you are going to die. You are going to nothingness. I believe that along with a billion Buddhists who have at the core of their religion that notion. That the ego, the self, is a fantasy in and of itself. I want to spend a couple of moments on, on sex and why it's the repudiation of sex, birth control, uh, enjoying yourself if you're homosexual, uh, enjoying sex in general, masturbation, why somehow this became the primary uh, sin, if you will, to keep you out of heaven. Right. I believe that sex is the life force. I believe that sex is life-affirming. I believe that sex is necessary. Now, I do believe that sex, like any other appetite, and I think of it as an appetite, a very strong appetite, uh, is, is something that has to be managed. It has to be brought within some kind of a moral system. But not a moral system that says it's evil or bad and has to be denied. Uh, I believe it has to be understood, and like the reality of death, the reality of sex has to be embraced. And we then have to choose how we will express our sexual desires and with whom. And we have to worry and wonder what the consequences of those behaviors will be. Now, it's very interesting, when I became a psychologist, um, the only, most of the people I knew were Jewish and Judaism is an interesting religion. By the way, uh, uh, it has some of the same ugly fantasies as others, that God is on our side. I see so much of the, the conflicts, particularly in Israel and the Middle East, that the... Um, oh, I'm offline. Oh, I'm offline. Shit.
Hello. Uh, yes, I somehow got disconnected. So let me go back into the chat. It only took two or three minutes, so I guess there'll be a dead spot here. For some reason, I don't know why I got uh, um, disconnected. Marion, if you're still there, uh, or if anybody's still there, give me a text that says you hear me. Um, otherwise, I'm going to have a short show today, and I'm going to have to have a longer one next week. So I don't know what's going on. But I got disconnected. Now I, I'm back on. And... I don't know what happened. Anyway, let me continue. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to continue. I'm going to sign off, and I'm going to do, next week I will do a show about sex, death, life, and politics, and continue this discussion. And if anybody would like to join me next week, uh, I would love to, again, have some callers. I don't know why I don't get any callers. This stuff should be interesting. I can't imagine that... Uh, Guess 761, whoever you are. Do you hear me? Can you text me back and see? Marion BG, I hear you. Okay, I'm going to continue then. I don't know why I lost contact. My, my screen went dead, and that was the end of that. I, I scheduled for 45 minutes. I have 18 minutes. I lost about three or four. What can you do? Anyway, uh, sex to me is the affirmation of life. And as a Jew, I was taught that your sexual behavior could be morally wrong, but not your thoughts. In Judaism, thoughts are off the table. It's not that Jews won't feel guilty about their thoughts or their emotions or their feelings. They do. But it's not part of the formal teaching of the religion. When I first became a, a therapist, one of my first patients, when I was being trained, was this lovely young woman that I never forgot and who I did much wonderful work with, I think. Um, and that was a young woman who had been seriously sexually abused, but she had been abused by a priest. And she was caught in a tremendous uh, uh, um, quandary. She saw her church and the people in her church, not the whole church, by the way. She never gave up Catholicism, so far as I understood but she saw the people uh, in the school that she went to, a Catholic school, uh, the nuns and the priests, as really very hypocritical. And what happened was uh, that she got caught because it took me a while to figure out that she had to educate me that in Catholicism, your thoughts about sex or your thoughts about killing somebody make you as guilty as if you actually did it. And therefore, you have to go to confession. And she had trouble going to confession because the person she had to confess to was her priest. Talk about catch-22. Um, she began to investigate. In fact, one of the things she began to do was to see if she could seduce other priests. And she found there wasn't a priest she couldn't get to go to have sex with her. And this deepened and deepened her, her panic, her anxiety, and her quandary. And one of the things I work with her was from my point of view, which was a, a, a Freudian and a Jewish point of view, especially Freud. Said Freud, we have to have the Ten Commandments guide our behavior. He was a moralist, Freud. He very clearly saw right or wrong, but not in your thoughts or your feelings. Your thoughts and your feelings have to be accepted as they are, no matter what they are. 
They could be what you think are the most ugly and disgusting thoughts and feelings, but they have to be embraced. You have to choose how you will deal with those feelings, but it has to be a rational choice, a reasonable choice, and that can't be done if what you do is bury them in a fantasy or repress them or split them off from yourself. Your thoughts have to be your friend. And once you do that, by the way, anxiety goes away. So much of the nonsense in life, as I see nonsense, goes away. And what you end up with is, is, is a more reasonable life. You see? What I didn't realize is that when Protestantism became the dominant religion, because of the corruption created by the power of the Catholic Church to be gatekeepers for people's thoughts that would get them into heaven or not get them into or deny them heaven, what they then did was say, you can't have confession. You can't confess your thoughts. A minister has to tell you about the Bible, has to tell you about what's good or bad. But what they left out, what they didn't change the Protestants, is the idea that your thoughts should be then put away. Your feelings should be put on a separate category. For Protestantism, your thoughts can send you to hell. God, this powerful God, is reading your thoughts. And if he reads the thoughts that are sinful, you can go to hell. So now you have no access to the confessional, which forgave you, the priest forgave you, because now the Protestant minister doesn't have that power. All he can do is warn you. And boy, some of the warnings are, are, are quite terrifying. You go to hell forever. You burn in hellfire forever. What's interesting is that if you study the history of heaven and hell, that really didn't start till Dante's Inferno in the 1600s. Hell was a place, but it was never clearly described. And this this fear of an afterlife and the joy of going to heaven permanently in happiness, all of this became enshrined particularly in Christian countries and is now the fantasy, the story, and behind so much of the political process here in the United States at all levels. And so we have a political process that says you're in league with the devil if you have thoughts, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't embraced my God, my view of the God that I believe in. And the result is a repression and a terror for more and more people who are now afraid to even talk back to this fantasy. I recommend a book by Sam Harris called The End of Faith. I think that's the title, The End of Faith. And he takes, interesting, his, most of his anger is not just with people who have this faith, this deep faith. It's with people who have a much more moderate view, but say, we can't talk back to these individuals because no matter what, you have to respect a person's faith. I don't think so. I think I will respect anybody's faith as long as they don't engage in a political process that tells me I can't live as I wish to live, or my friends can't live as they wish to live, 
once the actions of a person in society are shaped by a political process that says, I shun you, I kill you, I deny you, I denigrate you, because of what you believe that differs from my view, from the thing that comforts me, the thing that allows me to deal with the problem of my death and my sin and my things that I'm afraid of because I've been told they will prevent me from going to heaven, such as sex, such as homosexuality, such as a, a, a masturbation, such as all kinds of other things that relate to enjoying sex and the life force that it, it involves. Once that happens, I think it's time we have to speak up, and I am speaking up, and I become very terrified by those individuals. Not only those who say it, but those who refuse to stand up, those who refuse to speak back, those who say, I'm going to be respectful of you no matter how odious I find your ideas, no matter how fantastic I find your ideas, no matter how damn dangerous I find your ideas. And so this brings me to the end of what I want to say. Uh, I hope people who hear this at this point uh, will uh, not hang up when I went dead for a few minutes uh, on the air. And I was, uh, uh, um, I realized it right away, I think. So it was only two or three minutes. And uh, we'll stay to the end of the show. Uh, anybody would like to call in? Anybody would like to engage in a discussion on this issue? Uh, I I would uh, most be happy to do that. Otherwise, uh, I am going tonight to uh, the uh, the Democratic Club. I can tell you I am involved. Not because I particularly like the Democrats. It's because uh, the people who frighten me the most are on the Republican side. And, uh, uh, and uh, i got to do what I can, not so much as to get the people on the Democrats elected but to see to it that uh, the other side with, with uh, God, 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 God are not elected. And, uh, okay. So I will hopefully be back on the air next week. I think maybe I can think of some more things to say. Uh, if anybody has a suggestion, they want to email me what it is they would like to hear me talk about. That's absolutely wonderful. And maybe I will. Somebody wants me to be, uh, uh, wants to be a guest on my show who does a show here. And uh, although he talks about the mind, the body, and the soul, and I have very little tolerance for talking, taking seriously a discussion about souls, except, as you all know, who listen to me, uh, I see the soul in a secular way, not as some immortal kind of a thing that will live on after me, particularly if I've been a good boy, according to uh, somebody's version of what good is. Have a wonderful day, all, and I will uh, be talking to guest 778. Anybody want to call in while I still have a few minutes? I would love that. Okay, have a good day, everybody. This is Dr. Simon, Stories We Live By, and I hope this show was a good one. Bye.